And there are plenty of things that we can do to help clients break into new market sectors and win work in industries they've never touched. Um, and we do a lot of that every day, but they have to start from somewhere. They have to be established in something. They don't need to be well-known, but they need to be established in something in their own right. So I think being able to sort of position yourself in having that small, perfect little curated portfolio, and we're not talking about anything huge, even if it's a three to five projects, right, that you're really proud of over the course of a year, or a year and a half, that gives us what we need to sort of get off the ground. And then from there, again, we can snowball together. Welcome to Best Practice, a show where we interview leaders in the building industry to unpack the tools, strategies, and tactics they use to run great organizations. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Tiffany Raffi. Tiffany is the CEO and co-founder of Upspring PR, a full-service communications agency for the architecture, design, and real estate communities. She co-founded in 2009 with her business partner, Sarah Turczyk, the 25-plus person team works to increase brand awareness and market share for over 50 companies, spanning the hospitality, commercial, and residential sectors. Thanks so much, Tiffany, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Cool. So to start, uh, very curious to know, what is the Upspring story? So I, I kind of highlight a little bit of it, but very curious to know how you got started. How did you partner up with your co-founder, Sarah, and all that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um Sarah is actually currently on maternity leave, Um, so I would have loved to have introduced all of you, but she's tending to a six-week-old little nugget, so um, we're really excited for her, a new upspringer in the family. Sarah and I, believe it or not, have known each other since we were 12 or 13 years old. Oh, I love it. Um, That's great. We ended up at the same college in the same sorority somehow, and... We are a dorm room company. Um, we started Upspring this sen- our senior year um, at the George Washington University. Um, and we spent the first year, year and a half or so um, doing PR for pretty much anybody who would hire us to do any kind of PR. Um, you name it, we did it. Uh, VoIP services, education, shoes, we did it all. Um, but part of our conversation today is like any good business um, or any business that could have any chance or 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 has a goal of of scaling quickly. Um, Specialization is a huge key or core to that growth. Um, And we knew that even then. So we sort of set our eyes on canvassing what type of industries could really utilize our services. At that time, design was not the mainstream conversation that it is now. We saw opportunity in a few clients that we'd had some experience with. We found that it had such an incredible sort of mix of creativity and strategy. so it was, it was really appealing to us. Um, so we sort of set out to kind of conquer that world. Our first key hire um, was an editor who's still with us from Hospitality Design Magazine who joined our team. She had been there for seven years and now has been with us for eight or nine um, or eight, I think. Um, and she, we brought her on board to teach us what we didn't know. Um, so we learned the ropes. We learned everything there was to know about the B2B design industry. Uh, And from there, uh, we continue to grow um, and make, you know, again, key hires that really complemented our skill sets. Again, we started the business when we we were seniors in college. So everything from the operational side, things you just know, because you've worked at other companies, um, all the way through to um, really learning that design industry inside and out. Um, We then moved into B2B products um, about five years in. um, And then 
hired a VP on the residential side and started representing residential consumer products and, of course, represent firms doing residential work as well. So that's sort of where we are. In the last you know few years, we've started really honing in on um, construction, engineering, and real estate firms. We all sort of, all of our clients sort of live and breathe in this built environment. Um, so we have stayed really true to that core specialization. And that has been, I think, a really big part of our field growth over the years, almost 12 years in. 12 years in. Wow. Congrats. That's awesome. The specialization part is something like time when you, when you start to explore the so space. Architecture is very compelling from, and it partly it's, because it wasn't the people that were doing it at the time when you're like, just weren't doing it well, or you felt like there was just an opportunity there to tell a better story. So um, even now there aren't a lot of firms who specialize in the space. Um, There were firms who specialized in the product manufacturing side of things. Um, Even today, many of them don't represent firms, although, you know, they do exist. Um, They were, founders or companies who had worked elsewhere and then sort of like many companies start, um, sort of learned their trade, peeled off and started a company. And I think there was something so refreshing about the fact that um, we were starting from scratch. Um, Mm. We do things based on trial and error, client feedback, um, experience of our team, as opposed to the way somebody else taught us to do it. And I think that's a really important thing. Even our staff, uh, we're really big. We've changed our systems over the years. Mm. I I mean, I know a few of our team members are on and they're probably laughing, but we are willing to sort of shake things up, right? And 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 change them and be flexible um, depending on sort of what is or isn't working. And I think that is what made, made us so successful in, in this specialization because we're listening and we're paying attention mm. and, and we're willing to sort of grow and evolve with the industry um, because it really has in the last 10, 12 years in, in a very big way. So yes, from a entry point perspective, there wasn't a ton of competition at the time. Even so, there were firms that are even the same size now that they were then. That's what they wanted to be and what they were comfortable with, which is totally fine. We wanted to build a business. And so yeah. for us, we saw a whole lot of opportunity in scaling um, in that environment. We could have been totally wrong. Um, luckily, you know, it worked out and, and it is it, the industry we chose has evolved so much over the years and has become so much more mainstream than it ever was. So you know, I really do think that you are right. That is part of it for sure. I, I want to get into the evolution piece because I think this is a very fascinating part to, you know, you as an outsider coming in and seeing the lay of the land, how the industry was and the uptick that's changed over the past number of years, especially in a world that has emerged that's much more visual now. I think people's own sensitivities towards design have changed. I'd probably say that like, if you even just look at what you see on Wayfair, and I'm also like buying furniture pieces, this is very top of mind for me. <laughs> you just, there does feel like if you go on Pinterest, the visual culture is just so elevated now, which can be both good and bad, right? For, for let's, especially for maybe for firms that are trying to enter residential markets, right? The buyer has changed because it's just become much more sophisticated. People do their homework. People have so much access to information now where, you have to really strategically come in to meet their need. But before we dive into that, I'm very curious to, for the people that are listening and tuning in, I'm sure a lot of them have a lot of questions about just fundamental, like PR, what is it? How does one even start to wrap their head around it? And maybe you can help us, you know, clear the path for us to understand what PR actually is. Absolutely. Um so there are components of PR that are more traditional and obvious, right? Um, 
when people think of PR, they think of media relations. It's press. Um, that's definitely a core competency of our firm. It's something that remains a very big part of what we do. It is something that has changed over the years. Um, it has become more digital in some ways, but there is so still so much room for coverage and for not only uh, hitting target markets appropriately, but really helping to sort of push a company's business development agenda through that medium. So that is the one service all of our clients utilize us for across the board. Beyond that, um, there are so many things that can fall into a PR bucket. And then many that fall in a marketing bucket that have sort of blended in and that we are, you know, sort of helping with as well. Everything from award submissions, speaker proposals, mm. webinars, panels, placement in those, help with conferences, trade shows, any sort of copywriting, newsletters, marketing materials, working through proposals and mm. language on those. Um, and then all the way through on the sort of B2C and direct-to-consumer side, influencer relations, any sort of social or digital, you know, needs that our clients might have. If they aren't a core competency or in our wheelhouse, we have partner digital firms that we work with to help, you know, sort of complement our services and take things to the next level. So it really does... Um, we build our menu of services a la carte. Um, no two clients are really the same. Uh, it really depends on what the internal marketing teams even if, if they even have one, um, mm, yeah. look like, um, and what services and strengths they have and, and how we can sort of fill those gaps for them and helping them really map out what that can look like and starting sort of small and scaled back and getting to know each other and building the blocks of that foundation. And from there, um, sort of adding services over the years, we grow with our clients at a tremendous rate. There's nothing that gives us more joy. It's the best. Um, and we find that they'll all sort of add services over time. We're definitely in the long game um, in supporting our clients and building and growing with them. So I think it's just a matter of figuring out which types of services work or might complement your current hmm. structure and then taking it from there. Do you rely on, like, what's the back and forth between them? Because right? sometimes they may or may not have a marketing person dedicated to thinking actively about like the strategy and messaging and everything like that. Like when is it the best time to reach out to a company like Upspring or to, you know, because it seems like you provide a much more extensive breadth of services than maybe just a more publications oriented firm might. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so to answer a question the short way, there is no bad time to reach out because a conversation will only inform you. So I have plenty of conversations where I tell the client, the potential client that it's, you know, they will be ready at X, Y, Z time and they're not quite there yet. And here's why, but I still love having those conversations because that information will give you the groundwork for understanding how PR can fuel your business and why and when, and the things to look for, which you otherwise might not know. So the answer is right away. It's always worth having a conversation and, and figuring that out together. However, when I do have that conversation, and George and I were, were sort of chatting about this earlier too, it's really important that engagement with a PR firm is properly timed. There is such a thing as too soon, and it can be handicapping because it's an investment. And it has to be something that the firm is ready for by way of assets, um, finances, strength. And then from there, there can be so much growth. And when timed properly, it can really sort of help that business sort of achieve its goals, business development or otherwise, recruitment, 
growth in whatever way you measure growth, we can be there to help. It's just a matter of making sure that you have what you need. If clients come to us and they don't have photograph projects or they only have one project on deck right now, it doesn't make sense. The timing's not right because you're so much better off sort of growing that portfolio and getting to a place where you are able and ready to take advantage of the benefits of PR um, without sort of draining your resources. So I, mm. I, that is an honest conversation. I'm very, I have very often and I'm happy to have um, and to sort of help clients time things. Um, we're not in a rush. It's about sort of generating that relationship and finding the appropriate entry point so that that relationship can be long lasting. Um, nobody wants to start over in three or four, five, six months. Um, you want it to do something that works. With that said, um, when we did kick off, we created a bit of a unique contract structure that we still have now. Um, We start off with our clients on a four-month commitment. In our eyes, that's the amount of time that we need to show our clients what we're capable of, um, let you get a feel for PR. Um, We go through all of our due diligence and planning phases, present our PR strategy, and begin pitching and showing results in that timeframe. And then from there, we go month to month into forever. Um, So we can also have, and, and there are the occasions where we have clients come to us and we'll say, okay, you have three projects done, and then you might want to engage us for six months and then let's all take a break together. Right. Um, right. and then sort of reignite at X, Y, Z time when you have other assets so that we can help fuel your growth. I'm happy to say our clients generally come in and they continue on because they see those benefits. And of course that's what we want to see, but you need to come in ready to, to move forward with that time frame because PR is all about building momentum. Um, I often mm. say it's a snowball that sort of grows. So the more time you give in, the more you invest in it, the more you get out of it. So I think timing things is essential. So if you're, if you're just the, going back to the, the people who you might say, you know, you're just not ready. You're just not ready yet. What are, you know, cause it almost presents a chicken egg problem, right? PR, although PR is not necessarily the end all be all solution to generating new, new business, just because it's one channel out of many that people should invest time into thinking about. What do you tell them when, you know, they're like, Oh, but I mean, obviously the finance, let's set aside the financial side, right? Let's set, you know, if they, can commit to a four month commitment, that's aside, but they just don't have other things in place. What would you typically, do you give them a kind of, here's like the checklist of like things that you should have humming or already going in order for us to be able to maximize for you? Well, that super depends on their goals, right? Um, If they came to me and, you know, they specialized in a certain market sector um, and they we're trying to get off the ground and design full airports on, you know, mm. month five. Um, I might sort of talk them into um, doing more related work in concessions or things that touch points that might fit into those larger airports. It's almost like if someone wants to do hospitality, they very rarely give you the whole hotel on day one, right? You, you'll win the lobby. You'll do a few lobbies. They'll be really great. Then you might win the restaurant that's in the lobby on the next one. And then you'll finally get a guest room model room. And then you'll get to do all the guest rooms, but not the lobby. And then you'll win the whole hotel, right? So it's a matter of really sort of talking them through the steps that can get them to where they want to be. Um, And then, of course, initially word of mouth and relationship-based projects are what company didn't start that way, right? Right. Um, And I think it's so important to take advantage of that network in the very, very beginning to sort of 
develop and build that foundation. The bigger you get, the bigger you get, right? Um, and so it's just a matter of making sure that you're putting in the time and energy to build that foundation, that you're getting the appropriate projects under your belt, not just to pay the bills, but the ones that look like the projects you want more of, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are plenty of things that we can do to help clients break into new market sectors and win work in industries they've never touched. Um, and we do a lot of that every day, but they have to start from somewhere. They have to be established in something. They don't need to be well-known, but they need to be established in something in their own right. So I think being able to sort of position yourself in having that small, perfect little curated portfolio. And we're not talking about anything huge, even if it's a three to five projects, right? That you're really proud of over the course of a year or a year and a half. That gives us what we need to sort of get off the ground. And then from there, again, we can snowball together, but it needs to be there. Otherwise, the investment is larger than the ROI and and nobody likes that. So um, I think that's really important. Yeah, there, there is a thing about, and I've had this conversation with other other guests in the past where the idea of authenticity emerges um, often. And I'm hearing a little bit of that from this conversation too. It's like, what's your core? What are you good at? Right? Because ultimately like the fastest path or the path of these resistance for someone to go from zero to five projects is by being super focused on something that they, that is unique to them ultimately, whether that's right. like their background and work experience and trying to find, build on that network that they've already, you know, have, that is ultimately the best approach. If you, if you spent a lot of time doing commercial, um, let's say office renovations, you know, offices are an interesting moment right now. It might be the right time to really kind of branch out and think about the whole, uh, whole new way of, you know, office design for, for next year and find clients that are within your network or just one person removed from your network that you can go to. And it seems like the best, once you have that momentum is when, you know, it might not even make sense to really focus on external marketing to some degree it just really honing in on your, like focusing some, your own time on interpersonal connections. Right. And then maybe figuring out a way to figure out the other important pieces, right. Which is the asset creation, how do you organize your folder structure? I mean, it's it's like it seems very almost too specific, but that does matter, right? Because ultimately, when they engage with someone like you and your firm, that kind of uh, rhythm already has to be in place, right? Because you're going to be asking them for, well, what assets do you have? What do you have? Photographs? Do you have drawings that we can use? What what material is there? And that has to be part of how they're planning ahead in order to work with you. Well, I mean, nobody's good at everything, right? It's kind of like the mentality from, I feel like when I was in school is so different now. They wanted everyone to be so well-rounded until sure, yeah. until they realize that well-rounded means you're diluting everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now I feel like as I see even just like cousins and, and friends and, and go through even high school and college, they really want those pointy kids, right? It's, you need to figure out what what it is you're really good at and then invest in that thing. And, and it can be two things or three things, but you're good at something better more than something else. Right. And, Mm. and I know you have, you know, we'll chat about this more later, but that's also part of kind of developing that business development strategy who works for you. What are they really good at? Workplace might be really suffering and you might find that one of your senior designers has a crazy residential portfolio. And this might, that might be the person that you really want to take advantage of right now when residential might be a little bit more, um, in demand, for example, yeah. not that office is not, we do tons of commercial pitching, but it's an example of, of something that might be, we have clients who 
only do hotels and then they hire someone and that person has a background in cruise work and they're like, well, that makes sense. And we'll take advantage of that thought leader to sort of help them maybe break into that market sector. And so again, I think it's really important to take a look at what those strengths are um, and to in those in that early period and, and to be perfectly honest, all the way through, really focus on those strengths and developing them um, and then finding new ones and developing those, um, which is exactly what we did. Uh, we started with the firms, we developed that. We were able to then move into product manufacturers because it complemented really well and, and developed that. At each point along the way, we were hiring people and or utilizing the skills of people who already worked for us, um, who are passionate about those market sectors um, or those possible divisions that could lead the way So and innovate in those fields. So I think it's really important to sort of keep your eye on that and, and move forward from there. I think that's a great bit of advice to you about you know, each additional person that you add to your team also complements the story you're trying to tell. And even thinking about that strategically too, is to, you know, when you're hiring people, you know, how can either you help them gravitate to their natural strengths, right, as one approach, and then have your story evolve to just kind of double down on that, or you hire people who already have that prior experience in an area that you you want to start strategically thinking how you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. I think that's super, like really great tactical advice for people that are interested in thinking about how do we move away from one industry to another? And it happens in larger firms, right? They, larger firms end up acquiring another firm for their book of business in, in a specific sector ultimately, or in a market that they're just not in uh, mm-hmm. at, at the moment. So it's pretty fascinating. You could think of that also even as a smaller firm, about every additional person you add to your team, you really have to see them almost like as talent that's helping you move to somewhere else, right? Of course. course. And that's part of the conversation that needs to happen. I think leadership needs to have that conversation quarterly. Mm -hmm. I know Sarah and I do even more than that. It's okay, what do we have that we're not utilizing? What strengths are in our firm that we're just not taking advantage of or that could be really great for clients to have? I think there are obviously two ways to grow, right? It's take on more clients and win more business um, or sell more to the clients that you already have. And either one of those can be solved by that problem. It's really looking at the skill set of your team and what we've proven to do um, George and I were chatting about focus groups that we run at Upspring. That's a great example of that, right? Of something that our clients can utilize us for um, in running focus groups for them whenever they need them. And that's an additional service offering that we can provide based off of skills we saw that our team had. So, you know, I definitely think that that's the most important thing is sort of to look within and see what you're not taking advantage of. That focus group idea is so clutch. I mean, in other forms of product, you're always looking for that feedback to know that you're that what you're saying or what you're building resonates with your audience. And it's ultimately something that they, that they really want. And, you know, there's different ways of going about that with the focus group. You know, if you're a firm and you're trying to understand, you know, is my website well-designed, right? The idea is not to just wait around for someone to give you a call or sort of bring it up in passive conversation with a friend or something. Really, you want to put that in front of the people that are your most likely, that fit the profile of your most likely client, your most Uh, your ideal client and then get their reaction, right? Get their feedback. Like is the pitch very clear? Is it very concise? Do they get it? Do they understand what it is that you actually do? And that kind of iteration helps to strengthen the service ultimately because you're getting better at telling your story. But if you just wait around for people to give you, I mean, most people just won't give you that feedback in general. You have to be actively asking for it. And it seems like 
you know, that's part of what Upspring, right, is what your team does is through the use of a focus group, you're getting very specific information back. Yes. So I think the goal there is to not only receive information that's going to help you brand build and do things the right way. So you're not burning resources and doing things appropriately, whether it's a website build, a new product launch, you name it, an ad campaign that's going to be run, whatever it might be that that focus group could help with. The obvious takeaway is the information you gather, right? And and that feedback that influences everything that you do. So that's definitely step one. The other thing that is incredibly important is that in the process of gathering that information, you are creating brand ambassadors. You are creating a group of people who are buying into and learning about a business they otherwise may not have ever known about. Or if they did, they definitely would have noted this personally, letting them under the hood. People love to help and love to care. And then they're cheering you on, right? They're going back to pre-COVID, going back to the office and kind of saying, I just did this, you know, XYZ focus group. And now we're running them virtually. And, you know, it really gives people the opportunity to get a glimpse into the world of that business, similar to the way you are with me right now. And, And it really creates a little connection that is very hard to create otherwise under the guise of a sales meeting or, or a business development meeting. Um, so I definitely think it's something that can prove value in, in, in many ways. Yeah. And, you know, we, we did talk a little bit about this too previously about how, and maybe we'll kind of just start talking a little bit about the evolution, but of just communications today, where because you now have this elevated awareness from the, on the client side, right? They do more research. They have all this information accessible to them. You know, you've seen the emergence now of this idea of like lifestyle companies or lifestyle brands that, that have emerged or even just personalities, right? That people follow. There are some people in the design space that have seemingly done this well. People like, you know, the arc is just a, a really easy low hanging fruit to say because, you know, very few other architects can claim to have a very distinguished brand, right, that is associated with it. I mean, so how have you seen that evolution play out? I mean, where do you think the state of that is today, both from the perspective of like, you know, you mentioned goals earlier, and yeah, the firm might not have those goals in mind, but should they? Like, should is there, has the evolution gotten to the point where people should be thinking, like firms should be thinking about opening up a YouTube channel where they think creatively about what the format, right, that they want to let people under the hood to understand and maybe follow them as more deeply, right? Get understand it like uh, the, basically build an audience is what I'm getting at. Like, have you seen that disconnect? And also from the perspective, of, you know, in some ways, yes, you are more more in the inside now than you were before, but I'm sure you still talk to a lot of other people that are maybe outside of the the architecture industry. So I'm, I'm curious, like, where is the state of things and where's the opportunity? What are people not doing that they should consider doing? I think that people are more concerned with doing everything because they feel like it's become so important to do everything that they're losing sight of qualifying things to figure out whether or not they're going to help. And I think that's the biggest mistake that can be made because then you're sort of diluting not just the brand, but the messaging, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And multiple things might be right for different reasons. That is absolutely valid. But I think it's really important to have that business development plan. And I'm not saying that needs to be this like crazy formal document, but rather 
fluid conversation and understanding of where you want the firm to head. And that can change. And there can be tons of pivoting that happens. We all do that. That's what keeps things current. And that flexibility creates success. Absolutely. But I think it's most important to actually qualify things so that they match those goals. YouTube sounds great. It wouldn't really help my business. I don't think there are a million architects and design for architecture design firms and you know, in the home space product manufacturers, like hanging out on YouTube, looking for a PR firm, right? So for me, probably not, right? Um, But based on the type of company that you are um, and the type of brand that you want to build and those goals and objectives, there are definitely so many things to take advantage of that didn't exist. I think technology obviously has created so much opportunity in that growth, in that communication strategy. Um, And anything, I mean, in our industry, especially on the B2B side and on on the B2C side, we're finding Pinterest, Instagram are the most important on the socials. Obviously, website is super important, any sort of LinkedIn engagement. And then beyond that, obviously, media relations, award submissions, getting out there. I think networking has taken on a whole new meaning than it ever did. Um, Networking isn't like take someone out for a coffee necessarily anymore. Um, There's so many ways to network and get in front of people and leverage your network um, that will really help to sort of move you in the right direction. I think, again, it's just paramount that you know what direction that is. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't, then things will be so dispersed um, and you won't see any real significant success in any one market sector or goal that you have because they're just too divided. Um, You need to master one thing at a time. And that can still happen very quickly. I'm not suggesting things have to happen slowly, but they have to be thoughtful um, in order to move things in a certain direction. And listen, we have clients who come to us and say, we are three people. We want to always be three people, you know, Um, and we love it. And we're happy to be this size. And we still only want to do five or six projects a year. We just want them to be bigger and better. And we want to be able to choose what those projects are. That in itself is a goal. um, And that's awesome. And then you have other clients who want to scale and, you know, we're 30 people. We want to be 50 people in a year. We want to be a hundred people the year after that. And we know we need to support them in recruitment and, and suggest the mediums of communication that will help support that type of growth. So again, there is no right answer. There is no silver bullet. It is so unique to each company and client that it really does require that conversation. And when we kick off with our clients, we conduct a due diligence with them where, we kind of walk them through this exercise and really understanding what that direction is. Some clients come to us and they have a very clear idea and others don't. And we work with them to decide what that looks like and how to evolve it. We have a design firm that has um, a history in education, in gaming design, um, and then hospitality. And one of our biggest conversations initially um, and over time has been how do we make sure that we continue to fuel the gaming business without turning off all of the higher ed potential clients and hospitality clients who don't want to be associated with gaming and really focusing in on developing a strategy that's multi-tiered and we're really focusing on fueling the growth of each of those buckets but maybe keeping things siloed sometimes right um, the gaming information maybe only needs to be released in in areas where there's gaming and there's tribal and there's trade um, and maybe 
the education story is the only story that goes to national press. So it's just a matter of working together to, again, identify those goals. Had they come to us and said, we only want to do gaming at the expense of everything else, and that strategy would be completely different. Um, But if we don't know that strategy, then it's really hard to make those decisions. Right, right, for sure. No, and yeah, I completely agree that the core unit of communications is your customer. That is the thing that you have to figure out first in besides yourself, right? Besides like what you're good at, but like knowing what the customer is more attuned to, like you brought up, right? Like for upspring, YouTube might not, not be it, but you know, what is fascinating, at least for, and a lot of times I think more directly about residential because that in monograph's case, you know, for those that are not aware monograph, uh, we provide software for management software for architects. A lot of our customers are, mostly in the residential area. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's very top of mind where like you have, it's just, we, we are now in a new world where you can create audiences more easily than you could in the past. Like Studio McGee, you know, they have now both, I mean, they have a line of furniture. They built an amazing audience. They are on Netflix, right? They have their own show where you're just seeing the behind the life of them, the home edit, another a small business that just grew up on Instagram, built an amazing following and then leverage that to tell a bigger story about home organization. And now they're at the container store. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's where I do think that, you know, people care about design. It's just the way you deliver the message has to be more up to date for them to resonate with it and for them to feel emotionally invested with that story. And that's, Absolutely. that's why I think, yeah, in the commercial office space, you know, who knows, maybe it's a LinkedIn, uh, your whole strategy is like going on LinkedIn and telling a story about, thought leadership. A lot of firms do that, but can you go beyond just like a, a post? Like I, there, there's something about the format too, of just like how we communicate that's evolving, like where mm-hmm. video is becoming more predominant. Right. And, you know, obviously these things mean that potentially more production. Right. But then I don't know, there's just, there's something about how, if you want to go from zero to a hundred you have to figure out what is the thing that's different now that other people are not doing. And, and, and that's obviously, I think that starts with what you're saying, right? Who is your, what's your core message? Who are you first? And then who do you want to work with? And then what do they care about and how do they consume information? Let's work on that. Right. Let's exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, again, it just differs so much. We do have direct-to-consumer clients who serve a mass market and that's exactly how we think for them. And then we have the B2B clients or even the residential design firms where they're not necessarily on day one going to be doing residential design for the entire country, right? Like there's a geographic area, even if it's not necessarily by market sector only, there are so, there are parameters around initial success and, and identifying what that initial success looks like. We can expand what that is quickly and over time. We just have to have markers to hit. And if you don't have markers to hit and you only have this long game that you're going after, you're going to sort of lose sight of how to sustain that business over time. And that'll create sort of a a huge problem for actually reaching that end goal. So it's just a matter of, again, understanding what those markers look like along the way and then being able to hit them. Do you see yourself as almost like a... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But I'm curious if you see yourself almost as an organizational consultant to some degree too. Like, like at what point do the internal practices that Upspring practices in general, like do you ever see that influencing the way that your clients start to work for themselves? Like let's say they might not have it all figured out, right? And a lot of times, you know, 
firms start off with their strength in design, not necessarily business. And so, you know, a firm like Upspring comes in, provides a lot of advice. Do you see them starting to adapt also like quarterly reviews? Like, because they're hearing this from you, right? I'm sure people in the audience right now are listening to quarterly reviews. Like, oh, should we do that? Like, we only do yearly. Like, what does that mean? Um, so I, I'm curious to know more a little bit about that. Yeah, so absolutely is the short answer. Um, and it also, again, depends on the firm. There are firms who integrate us down to the underpants and it's the best because they get the most out of us, right? And then others who compartmentalize us, which is also okay if that's how they need us to function within their mechanism. But the clients who take us in and really integrate us um, receive so much value far beyond PR and marketing consultation. Um, we're here to talk about business goals. We have firms that will come to us and you know tell us they created a custom product for a project even. Um, and we'll look at that product and we'll say, do you think the manufacturer of that product, that custom product would be willing to sort of have us launch a line or collaboration? And they're like, you know what, let's ask them. Um, and then we're, if the client, one of the client's goals is potential product design, we can leverage that product for press without any skin off anybody's back. No product needs to be created. It can be a special order item. It can be A&D only. It can be whatever you want. But being able to sort of launch that product alongside that person's name and help them sort of gain some sort of recognition for being a product designer now, right? And and again, that's like just one example of so many. Once we're able to have these conversations and extract the goals from you, I hate to make it sound painful. It's actually quite fun. Um, we are able to make suggestions along the way. Um, and I think that's part of the, the benefit of having an external team really, really work for you. This isn't, we are consultants. This isn't just uh, media relations. This isn't just, you know, whatever it is you're utilizing us for. It's, it's the buy-in, right? Of We have 50, 60 clients in this specific industry. Um, we have a pulse on what is and isn't working. We've seen clients sell and distribute and do business development in a hundred different ways. And, and we can tell you what's worked for companies and what hasn't when XYZ was their goal. So we're really here and able to, to help make suggestions. I mean, we'll have a client that does hospitality and they're global and they can only get the larger projects, which would seem like a bad thing, but then they're coming to us saying, why can't we land the smaller restaurant projects that are still really you know, sort of reputable in our ba- in our own backyard. Why are we losing those, right? Helping them come up with solutions to kind of hit the ground. Maybe they create new offerings or they're taking advantage of an employee who has a background or ties to that area that we can take advantage of. Um, maybe it's an area that really likes their own. We find that, you know, a lot in the right. Chicago, for example, really helping navigate any of those problems with our clients and, and using PR strategies and tactics, whether we're executing on them or there are things the firm needs to do from a business development or operational perspective, being able to give suggestions. And again, there are clients who really utilize us for this and others who, who don't as much. So I think it really depends. Um, that kind of uh, what you mentioned too about sometimes the in that specific example about going after restaurants, you know, sometimes your customer just leverages their own internal network, and so what that means is ultimately you have to you if you're interested in in something you have to like put in the work to build relationships in there so that you know not everybody actually knows an architect, but you definitely want to be the first person that people think of when they're in need of an architect. And that's only going to happen if you've put in the time in different ways, but to build that awareness for yourself or, or those relationships, especially like in restaurants feels like more of a place where it's very deeply relationship oriented. Like often, unless you're working for a large group, restaurants are very personal to people. And so they want to entrust 
a project, right? In, in a we want to be somebody who knows the area, sort of the local, yeah. the has like a local perspective, right? Um, so again, I think these are all examples of unique problems our clients will have and how we sort of navigate them and work through them. And I think that's part of the fun. Um, I People think of PR as publicity. We are not publicists. Um, when people come to us and it's press for ego's sake, we politely send them in another direction because that's just not the type of business we are. I think it's really focused on business development and growth. And for us, it's really about hearing our clients and, and buying into whatever it is they're doing and sort of championing that with them. So I definitely think that may not be for everyone by any means, but that's kind of what we've built. And that's our, that's, that's our brand and our capability. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that, you know, in my role, for instance, I'm very much uh, very data driven. I very interested in understanding where people are actually coming from as a full disclosure, Upspring PR is actually our PR agency, just so everybody uh, <laughs> and knows. And, good uh, and, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring on Tiffany, because I felt like the, our relationship was so well, and I really appreciate the team and, and how they've been able to help us. And a lot of what she's saying really resonates with, with uh, our experience. But, you know, and one of the things we implemented, and I'm just very curious if you've seen this, we've implemented, you know, we use Google Analytics to understand like where people are coming from, what countries, where, you know, where, you know, why, why is it that all of a sudden, like we're getting a huge spike of people coming from Australia for anyone uh, listening that, that just finds that kind of stuff very curious, you should definitely have Google Analytics installed. But mm-hmm. the other thing that's really helpful is to understand who's coming from what initiative that we've invested time in. So, you know, if we got like a press release out there and, you know, Architect Magazine happened to pick it up, we want to be able to know, like, did anybody come to our website from Architect Magazine? And those are ways in which you can track that. So it doesn't have to be this uh, necessarily, you know, I'm sure you get this, right? But uh, people sometimes feel that PR could be very fluffy. Yeah. it is. Two, it's not rooted in anything. Like, how do I actually know that this drove the needle? Um, yep. How have you helped to address that? And, you know, I'm leaving the question with, with Google Analytics is one, one mm-hmm. approach, but I'm curious, like, what else have you seen? So Google Analytics is a huge one, for sure. Um, we also do tons of reporting ourselves, um, just again, it can be more qualitative. Um, So media reports that'll just show the activity that's occurred on our end. So there are so many ways that we can sort of prove our value, of course. Um, Obviously, at the end of the day, it's leads, it's new business. That's our goal. Um, In the short term and in the long term, brand generation and brand building, more people sort of identifying with the company, understanding who they are, throwing their your name hat in the ring when the time is right and comes is incredibly important. There are also technologies finally catching up to um, the industry. Like Monograph is a good example of that. But um, there are so many softwares that um, are there to really track everything from sentiment all the way through to obviously impressions and follow through. So there are a lot of ways that metrics can be can be used to show value. Um, Again, it is a more qualitative type engagement. And I know, you know, George, you've experienced that yourself, but you kind of feel that it's working, you know? And I think um, more than anything, it's a matter of, of, of that happening and you being consciously aware of that, which is part of the reason, again, we make our contract structure so lenient. It's that we want that to continue to occur. And we want that to be um, what is there for you. Um, we also do 
depending on the client, um, reporting either yearly or every six months um, to really look at wins, losses, messaging that resonated, didn't resonate, how we can build on on that outreach and, and those initiatives that have occurred. Where the company is now heading? Has anything changed? Have you noticed that actually you don't want to do any hotels anymore um, and right. they weren't worth it? Or is it not worth it to take on any small project that are residential because it's just, you know, really does isn't worth it. So we want to take advantage of any project you have that's larger. It's definitely important to be paying attention to all of those things. Um, and we can help set up those systems to help you navigate it. I know George is ahead of the curve and sort of already knows how to take advantage of those things, but um, we're here to, here to sort of guide you through that as well. Cool. Thank you, Vanna. We do have uh, a couple of questions. One is from Todd. Why do we need PR? So PR is really the core tenant has and always will be letting the right people know you know you exist and delivering the right messaging to them. So the main goal and objective is obviously to identify that target market and then implement whatever strategy is required in order to put you in front of them. It's really to open doors. And now with you know, so many articles living online, um, the SEO component and helping to sort of encourage and rank things higher for you when people are typing in architecture firm Florida, you know what I mean? Those little things, um, they all add up and and, and let people come through to you. Um, We get lots of business through referrals, but more than half of our business is through Google searches and through articles that people have seen that have ranked, helped rank our Google searches, our websites that were high up in Google rankings when people type in design architecture PR firm, right? So it's really just a matter, it's one piece of the puzzle for sure. You need to have a business development team or strategy, whether that's ownership, in our case it is, I run business development, or or if it's someone on your team or internal, totally fine. You need to have that marketing and PR component. Again, it needs to be well-timed and there are varying degrees of what that looks like. Um, And that's okay. It's okay for it to scale, but there needs to be something there in order to help introduce you to people, right? It's almost like um, having someone know you exist. Um, And that introduction that George gave me when we first arrived gave an impression and set a stage for all of you who are paying attention and listening in on who I might be and what I might be, you know, sort of speaking to or capable of. It's the same thing. If we don't introduce you, if we don't open that door or present that messaging in the appropriate light, then you just in the eyes of potential clients don't exist. Right. Um, and yeah. so, and that's the, you know, the short answer, I think PR can do so much more than that, but on a baseline level, that's what PR is for. Yeah. And I'll underscore the importance also of the technical side of SEO in the sense that, you know, if you're able to get your project published and place like art daily or one of these places where there's an actual link back to your website, on a technical level, those websites have their own authority mm-hmm. that Google finds very important. So yeah. it's like if you were profiled in the New York Times, New York Times is one of the, the most authoritative publications that Google's identified as like, you know, these are high traffic. People come here, stay there for a very long time. And if you're able to, to get that back or link back to you, that actually improves your visibility. Google then starts to see you as an expert in whatever topic you've been linked on. So a place like Art Daily, which has you know millions of people looking at it every day, that gives some weight to you, right? And so it's this interesting relationship of clout that gets uh, added over time that through Google. So it seems very nuanced, but it's actually very important because it helps how people can find you. The same when you, why people suggest get reviews, mm-hmm. you know, on, on through Google, because that's a way in which 
how you can be found more easily is because people search for like architects in Florida. And so you need to consider that almost any business right now. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a professional service firm, right? It can be a cleaning service. It can be almost anything. Now it's very important to invest in those and spend time in that. Yeah. And Um, we're very thoughtful about it. Always making sure we can get those backlinks as long as the publication allows. When we're pitching, we're making sure we're pulling in proper keywords from what we think will boost SEO so that if they copy and paste any portion of what we've written, we're sort of influencing that. So it's not just about the placement coming out and somebody happening to read it when it comes out in order to help. There's so much value far beyond that that we provide. So that was great. Thanks, George. Yeah. We also have another question uh, from Timothy. The question really is how would a PR firm take a small but established local Florida market architecture and interior design firm to the next level of advertising and then finding the proper clients that you'd have synergy? I think the primary issue that um, it seems that Timothy, you had done a ton of paid advertising. Um, and I think that's the primary issue with a service-based business um, that is so highly specific those ads are very hard to convert into potential clients because you're lacking a level of credibility and trust that editorial provides you. Um, So the pitching that we do to land your placements um, on a local level, for example, or even a national level, um, help that local SEO um, and help reach that local market in a way that provides a level of credibility that ads could never do. It's almost like I would never hire a nanny for my kid that placed an advertisement on on Facebook, right? You want it to be, you want someone to tell you that they're good. Um, and that someone can either be a publication that you trust, a friend, a colleague, um, someone in your network, or there needs to be a level of repetition where they're seeing your bit, your work um, in these publications repeatedly on Instagram, on Pinterest, and, and through all of these wonderful channels. You win an award. Um, so many things can sort of come together. You're speaking on a panel that will help give them the confidence and credibility that you'd be the right fit for them. So I think the main issue with the strategy that you previously into implemented is that it lacks credibility. And a lot of times for architecture and design firms, we have a kind of a no ads policy and we do everything as far as earned media and editorial placement. So I definitely think that that would be step one. Yeah, that's, that's great. I also think just in looking back a little bit also in that, in the kind of description with the original, specifically on this uh, resource page where it was offered, I think it comes down to how are people searching for Florida? You know, what are the questions that if I'm a client, right, uh, in the kind of multifamily high-end residential design space, mm-hmm. what are the things that I'm asking when I'm searching for for someone that provides a service, right? And if your end goal is to land on a resource page, are those resources organized in a, you know, in a specific way where it answers that question specifically? So there are tools online that you could see, you know, what are the specific questions that people ask in Florida about a given topic in architecture. It could be like, how do I get a permit in Dade County? Or how do I get a permit in Miami, you know, whatever, right? You want to figure out ways in which your your strategy should be, you figure out ways in which you can get your article to rank really high for that answer. And it starts with first creating the content, but then it starts figuring out like, what other publications would actually find this information helpful that would link back to my advice. And that Mm -hmm. could be local trade publications, local business, uh, you know, where you've developed relationships with the Chamber of Commerce, you know, Mm -hmm. just throwing ideas, right? And they link back to you, which then creates more authority for that content. And it's not just buried under more and more generic, right? Because 
ideally you're answering that very specific question for people. And it might not just be one page that helps, right? Because in this position, it's like a, re- a bigger resource page. It would actually be that there'd be many pages dedicated to each of those resources that would outline why are they helpful. And so I'm, I'm giving a very specific answer to that, uh, which maybe we should do something like this in the future. I don't know. It's, it sounds really interesting to answer people's questions like this live. But yeah, hopefully, uh, Timothy, I hope that uh, would help. I think that's it. That's all we have time for. Um, I do like to ask one last question. Uh, it's part of a lightning round, but it's not really a lightning round. It's really just one question at this point. And that is, and it's typically a surprise for people. What is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Oh, nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. Oh, gosh, the hard one. The nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. It could be professional. It could be personal. We've had the range right now so far. We've had the range. What have other people said? I mean, we've got, I, I, there was one where I almost teared up. <laughs> not saying you got to beat that. I'm not saying you got to, like, make me cry right now. I feel like the... people do nice things for me all the time. Um the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. I'm going to kick myself after because I'll think of so many. But um, one thing I can think of is when we were first um, looking for office space, we didn't, obviously we're starting off, we didn't really have a lot of money for office space. We found, we're actually in the same building now, but we found some office space in our building and sort of fell in love and it was like massively out of budget. And the landlord sort of took a liking to us and um, kind of helped us stagger our rent payment. So they would, they would tear up over time so that we could wow. move into the space that we wanted to move into. So it would end up kind of getting him to the same place over the years. Um, and it also just showed the faith and confidence that he had um, in our potential and our growth, just as people, um, mm. we were young, you know, 23, 24 years old. So I really do think, um, acts of kindness like that, um, and the flexibility of people around us, um, have given us incredible footing, um, mm. in order to sort of climb and grow. Um, and we're still there. So, mm. um, We've moved offices in the building and taken over the office next door and combined office spaces and expanded. Um, and we've sort of never forgotten it with that in mind. So I think as far as the business is concerned early on, that was someone who really gave us a break that we needed so that we could kind of assume the position that and look the part, which oftentimes really matters. So I think you know, that'll be my answer. That's pretty amazing. If anyone knows New York real estate, that is not common. <laughs> <laughs> to do that that's great yeah i mean it's like it's it's really great to hear when you know people give give you a shot right there mm-hmm. it's an investment in you long term for them in, in a way and like believing in what you're doing that's awesome thank you for sharing that well to wrap up uh thanks everyone for joining if you're more curious to learn more about upspring what's the website again for upspring just upspringpr.com great yeah so reach out and you know tiffany's always open to talking to people that are curious about how to apply PR as a strategy. So I'm sure it'd be great for you both to connect. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, take care, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com. That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.